Good evening, Adam. How are you doing today? I'm sorry, was that a question? Yes, that was a question. That's yeah. how we start things off. With I'm a doing nice incredible. Bit, 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 of, bit of banter. Okay? I'm doing incredible. Excellent. I'm glad to hear it. I want to hear everyone's doing good. So we have a really exciting show today. You know, I, I don't know if you heard, I'm sure you did, that we recently um, hit the, uh, the the 10th anniversary of the Snowden revelations about, uh, you know, government surveillance and, and spying and, and, and the Internet and all. And a uh, very big deal then, still a very big issue today. Um, but it ends up that, you know, for those of us who have been around for a while, um, you know, that was not um, the start of this issue. There's actually been a, a lot of work going on in the area of, you know, internet surveillance and civil liberties and uh, civil rights um, for quite a long time, really going back to the, uh, you know, the earliest days of the commercial internet um, in the mid, mid to late 90s or so. And so today we, well, we've talked about that before and today we're gonna to talk about it a little more and we are very lucky to have a guest on today who is, um, you know, been in it really, I think, from the beginning and is definitely um, an, an A player in this field, definitely one of the most uh, knowledgeable and impactful people um, in, this, uh, in that whole area, I think. So today we've got Jennifer Granick. Thank and you welcome. for having me. Jennifer, I'm happy to be here. Great to yeah, see you. you're making me feel old. <laughs> Well, you know, I was trying I was to do that without make, making you feel old be, because I think we're actually the same age, yeah, too. So I'm a bit be. selfish in that myself. You're not, you're not the same age. Joe, you're like 63. She's like 25. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Adam. We, we're, let's just say we're all um, experienced. That's right. Yeah. We're experienced. I, we're, well, I don't know about you, but Joe and I qualified for AARP already to get the early bird special. Oh, my God. I think when they send you the, um, uh, the, the membership card, right, when you turn 50, yeah, I, I, just, I burned it. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, I had felt old years before. The first time I really felt old was when I realized I was friends with my dentist. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, God. It's all downhill from here. But, it's, it's when the doctor anyway. comes in is younger than you are, you know? Oh, yeah, that's right. Totally. Oh, I remember that story about your dentist. He's the one that filled your teeth with the wooden fillings. <laughs> oh. Yeah, like George Washington. <laughs> yeah, thanks. That, that's, that's, you're right. Oh, well. So, yes, but, uh, yeah, so we, so we got a lot to talk about. Um, but first, since this is the cocktail hour, um, we are drinking today the uh, French 75, as chosen by Jen, because today is Bastille Day. Indeed. And you thought a... Uh, I thought yes. a French-themed cocktail would go well with Bastille Day. So here we are. Um, cheers. cheers. Here we are. All right, cheers. It's delicious. That is good. I really am liking that. I never had this one before. So great. Thank yeah. you. Good choice. And uh, all right. So, you know, yes, you've obviously been in the, in the world of uh, surveillance and we've had the, the Snowden things and all sorts of stuff going yeah. on. I'm talking about mass surveillance and civil liberties on the Internet. And, uh, you know, there's there's 
been a long history of it and stuff but uh what, what's happening lately basically i mean it's hard to working on because i know it's a evolving it field is, it Very is evolving. and it's hard to believe you know that the snowden revelations were 10 years ago it seems much yeah. more recent than that because you know for those of us who were surveillance lawyers you know before that the snowden revelations were really they were a revelation it was you know sort of a whole new category of information about what our government and other governments were up to. Um, and I think it really unleashed this, um, you know, sort of energy on the part of the civil liberties community to try to rein in these government um, excesses. And we're still fighting that battle, you know, 10 years later, um, both with things that um, Edward Snowden revealed um, in terms of you know, surveillance of our communications when we talk to foreigners, um, but also with new technology that has, um, you know, become adopted by law enforcement for greater use, um, you know, and we're seeing real increases in some of the novel tracking technology, in use of some of the novel tracking technologies. Um, and there I'm talking about things like geofence warrants or reverse search query searches or those sorts of things in particular. Um, but, you know, I, I would say one of the big differences between when I started um, this career and now is the difference between kind of surveillance of individuals, like a kind of comprehensive surveillance of individuals and what's happening now, which is technologies that allow the government to um, surveil people in mass as a giant group. And then, you know, sort of co either select suspects out of the group um, or, you know, keep tabs on protests and social movements and, you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, I guess what I think is that we had all hoped that with the Snowden revelations, we could make things a little less scary. But maybe as is just going to be true in my field, they actually are getting incrementally more scary. Yeah, you know, that's kind of what worries me. I mean, and this has been on my mind for a while. I mean, I've worked in the field for, for a long time, um, at least on the technology side. You know, I I read your I read your book, Talk About Surveillance, um, which I, you know, it's funny. I want to say I liked it a lot. But, you know, the truth is whenever I read books in that genre, I feel this this emotional mix of anger and depression <laughs> at what's going on. You're welcome. And, and, and that was... <laughs> You know, <laughs> well, that, that's right. art, I suppose, if you get a... Yeah, that should be a blurb uh, so, on the back but, cover. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's right. So we make people buy it. But also thinking that, you know, things... Well, the thing is, like, every time I read one, I, I, I read something in this area, it's like, it ends up that, yeah, I, I learned something more. That means it was even more pervasive than I thought that the controls that are supposedly in place are even uh, less effective than believed. And that was, what, six years or so ago? And I don't think things have gotten better in that time. You know, um, I mean, I would say there are some up. signs of hope, right? Because I, the way I look at it is, like, you know, I'm a lawyer, but technology is a huge determining factor in terms of what our liberties and what our privacy look like. And for, you know, decades, technology has made our um, private information less and less private. And the internet is just a huge, you know, machine that collects data about us and stores it. Um, and then, you know, we have like all kinds of other technology, but there have been changes in technology 
that are making us safer today than we were before. And I'm talking about end-to-end encryption. So, you know, when, you know, WhatsApp becomes widely adopted and end-to-end encryption is turned on by default, suddenly hundreds of millions of people, and I probably got the numbers wrong, but I'm in the ballpark, like hundreds of millions (laughs) of people, their conversations and communications are more safe than they was were before. And when uh, Meta ends up end-to-end encrypting um, uh, Instagram and Facebook Messenger uh, communications, again, it's going to be this sudden thing where people's conversations, people are able to have private conversations again. iMessage, you know, again. So it, it we have right. things, um, you know, people are developing ways to do various analysis and metrics on anonymized data. So, you know, I think we're, we're, you know, there's a pendulum. And I think with some kinds of technologies we've got now, there's some pushback and there's, there is reason to be hopeful. So we can continue to wake up every morning and, (laughs) you know, go to the office and continue with the, with the job because, you know, the law can only do so much. Technology itself is really important um, in that, you know, trying to strike that, um, that sweet spot between liberty and the government. So there, there was a certain person, I'm not saying which country, and he worked for a nation state, you know, a friendly, and I was having a conversation with him on WhatsApp, and I was joking about something, and immediately he said, where was listening to this? That was only a joke. And this was, this was on WhatsApp, encrypted end to end, and he was still concerned. Yeah. And I said to that person, I said to that person, oh, yeah. do you really think they're listening to you? He goes, during peacetime, I mean, during like wartime, whatever, they were listening to me. I think during peacetime, they're listening to me too, or something mm-hmm. like that. So his feelings was, even with encryption, they were listening yeah. to him. Well, I don't really, I don't yeah. really, I mean, it's if you're a particular, you know, you're in a particular field, then I think maybe extra caution is warranted. Um you know, I and you know, with technology of all sorts, there's always like a cat and mouse game between security and then vulnerability and then security and vulnerability again. But you know, as far as I know, and I think you know, I think that the way that um, a government has to collect uh, end-to-end encrypted messages is from the endpoint device. So they have to break into your phone and you know get the messages there, and that is possible. You know, um, there are the oh, global yeah. spyware groups that, uh, or spyware companies that sell, you know, um, that sell spyware that can implant itself on your, on your, you know, phone and collect the the messages there. But um, you know, people could really test WhatsApp. It's you know widely deployed and you know try to determine if there are vulnerabilities or not, and then the company you know fixes them. So I think endpoint attacks are still clearly a way to get around end-to-end encryption, but I have a lot of faith in Signal and WhatsApp and, you know, iMessage to iMessage that the engineers there are, you know, watching and uh, keeping an eye, making sure it works. So, well, I don't think Joe is happy with WhatsApp. Uh, well, no. Well, well here's, here's the thing. You know, some of this is technology and some of this is trust. And you might say that I'm a, that I'm a bit cynical too. Um, I do use Signal. A lot of people in security use Signal. We know that they are, they appear to be 
um, you know, very strong uh, technically and very, uh, you know, strong in terms of their, their commitment and the people there. And, you know, and I say very strong technically, there's, you know, from the technology side, that's really saying something. There are a lot of things, a lot of products out there, whether it's, you know, messaging or, um, or file transfer or, um, uh, you know, what, what, whatever password managers that say they have end-to-end -end encryption and either they really don't or it's not effective and they don't have really good ways of, of doing it. Um, but also, you know, a lot of these things get to trust too and the trust of the company. I mean, let, let, let's be honest, you know, what, what's, I don't use WhatsApp. WhatsApp is owned by Facebook, not a company with the best track record. Um, in terms of privacy, um, and and also not the best one in terms of working with the government either that we're especially seeing lately, you know, as we shoot this in July of 2023. Well, I mean, people um, can so test. I'm a little, pa I'm still a little paranoid. People, you know, Signal is open source. You can look at the code. People can test WhatsApp and see what it is. There's really no um, like percentage for Facebook to you know, to backdoor WhatsApp, they're using WhatsApp security to bring people to Instagram and to Facebook for messaging. They don't advertise against it. So, you know, I, I mean, skepticalness is, is, uh, you know, warranted, but I think that if it drives you, it's, if it healthy. Drives, it's healthy, but, it, but what's not healthy is when skepticism drives people away from using the most secure tools out there because they're like, it doesn't matter. I can't believe in anybody. So, you know, you need, I don't think that, that I don't think, you know, you want to go that far. You should be using WhatsApp or Signal. Well, <laughs> the 10, well, real, well, what we do in security is, is, you know, we always say, look, there's a, you know, there's a risk here, you know, that nothing is, that nothing is perfect. And we're shown time and time again that, uh, you know, some things that you say, well, they're, they're improbable or they, you know, may not be there. That's a little two tinfoil hat and they end up being oh, yeah. So, you know, I say, you know, so I say be... That is what we learned from know, the Snowden... Use the best, but still understand the limitations. Yeah, I mean, that is what we learned from the yeah. Snowden revelations. I think there were a lot of expectations on people's part about, like, what the government was doing, what it could do, and what we learned is that they were just blowing through all those stop signs and, you know, flying yeah, over doing the speed it, bumps right? and collecting all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So it's, it's true. In six years that I know Joe, or maybe seven now, Joe has never checked my hash for my signal, nor has he asked me why I changed my phone. So when he gets the signal alerts, he doesn't do anything. <laughs> What's oh, that about? <laughs> Adam, Adam, believe me, nobody could impersonate you. As soon as I see the line of text, I know it's you. It, it's so easy. So I, 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 I message, I message I, my phone died, and I have my other phone. I have two phones. And I message Eric, and Eric's like, Eric's one of my one of our colleagues and friends. And um, I message him. I goes, "How do I know it's you?" I go, "Ask me mm -hmm. a question." And he did. And I answered. He goes, "No one else would have ever known that. <laughs> I believe it's you." That's right. Ask me something only I would know. That's like the best. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. But you know, it's interesting that to talk about the endpoints too, because yeah, I, Jen, I, I, I think you're right. The, the technology for the end-to-end -end encryption and things like Signal and, and really what WhatsApp doing, are doing too, are far better than what we had um, a few years ago. Yeah. It's, it's something I've actually believed in for a very long time, and they're doing great work in doing that. But yeah, 
I shouldn't say the bad guys. I, I would say that the people who want to get around that, whether bad or whatever, um, they're clever. Yeah. And uh, and and they the most obvious thing for them to do is to go after the endpoint. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's like you know, yes, iOS is tough. Yes, um, it's not so easy to backdoor at all. But uh, I I've probably gotten more respect for them um, than in the past. They get, they can certainly do it on a one off basis. I mean, that's what the Pegasus software that I, NSO Group puts out it yeah, does, yeah. is it hacks into iPhone endpoints, you know, and is able to, um, you know, do surveillance at, at surveillance there and not just pick up the um, encrypted messages, but also, you know, collect information from your phone, from a phone, um, you know, turn on cameras and microphones, you know, stuff like that. And we've seen, we're seeing... Um, Citizen Lab, which is at the University of Toronto, studies this kind of spyware. And we're seeing governments mm -hmm. use this, you know, not against terrorists or, you know, not even against, um, you know, like foreign diplomats. We're seeing governments use this against like activists who think there should be a tax on sugary soda because it's bad for children's health. Like where, you know, we saw this, um, I guess it was Saudi Arabia who was spying on the phone of uh, the reporter Khashoggi's wife, oh, who then yeah. and, and he was right. murdered. So, you know, I mean, it's like, this is serious shit. It's journalists, it's, uh, you know, citizen activists. It's, and, um, you know, in, in the spyware industry, we're not seeing the kind of checks that you would need to see um, in order to make sure that these really inherently dangerous tools are not used uh, misused. Um, but then the question is like, what checks are there? So that's a difficult, you know, that's a difficult question. I was going to say that there's the matter of checks. Um, and there's also the matter of actually something that, you know, from, from speaking to you, Jen, that's, that's gotten into my head quite a bit is, you know, it's like they, they were starting with, okay, diplomats, uh, real terrorists, the, the, the super, super bad guys they're going after. And now, you know, you hear them going after, you know, journalists or maybe the next tier and then maybe activists who are you know not dangerous but to anyone or parents but at least but at least annoying <laughs> and it makes you wonder are they getting better at it and are they getting um and is the techno this technology getting closer to you know much more widespread um adoption of it didn't they go with their parents at pta meetings school board i don't meetings? know if they did with their phones and their messaging i think they did but, kind but of Generally. You know, keep in mind, right? And, and Jennifer, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Let's do a fact check here, right? It doesn't have to be spyware. It could be a zero day where you send a zip file to iPhone. It tries to render it and that ends up doing something. There's so many different zero days out there that we really don't know. You don't necessarily have to, yeah. you know, download a payload, put the payload on the phone. You know, you just study. Oh, oh, wow. This is a nice little zero day. I mean... You don't even need zero days, right? Like you can have known exploits, but if people are clicking on, you know, malicious links or, you know, opening malicious attachments and you are on a, you know, device that will load that code, then you can be owned that way. So um, it's not even, you know, it's not even necessary that it be a particularly novel attack. So. Um, but, you know, it depends a lot on how secure the software you're running is. And that's why they have, 
very high end specialized tools to attack the iPhone because the Apple um, environment is locked down in a way that like I have an Android phone. So it's locked down in a way that Android isn't for just for example. Yeah, you're right. I mean, uh, most of what we spend our time on uh, battling are really, you know, good old fashioned fishing. Um, you know, the, the, the classics yeah. <laughs> um, that, that keep getting better. And, and, and to tell you the truth, doing it on a phone, I mean, I, I personally am a, am a big, I'm a big advocate of the, uh, you know, the iPhone and, and iOS uh, versus, you know, for in the Android versus iPhone thing, I'm an, I, I'm an iOS I'm a Google guy. person. Um, I am all Android, <laughs> all Google. Yeah. <laughs> they own me. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, either, well, either one, not, not that it's impenetrable. But I don't know. I guess it's a, a level of a level of comfort or anything. But then the paranoia also creeps in in terms of you know there's not ultimate assurance if everything's working the way it's supposed yeah. to, and if the controls are are there that the way we think they are. I'm, I'm I guess I'm a little gun shy. I'm I'm worried about you know the, the next time I'm gonna have my heart broken again. And we're like I thought these guys were doing well, a good one job thing, they were good and you end up at sea. I know. mean, one thing I think you have to worry about isn't like, you know, your technical security, but like your legal security. Because if you're communicating over other oh, yes. forms, like it's not end-to-end decrypted and you've got, you know, email in particular, all your email, um, you know, things that are stored on Facebook, Twitter, Twitter DMs, like, you know, anything like that, then all that information is available to governments. It's just a question of what legal process they need in order to let, make the company comply with turning it over. Um, and, you know, other countries, even so-called friendlies, have rules about getting access to this information. They treat their citizens differently than they treat us. We treat our citizens differently than we treat them. And then we trade information back and forth. And it's not necessarily that hard to get the right kind of legal process. You know, the warrant, the search warrant is kind of the gold standard in U.S. surveillance law. But, you know, one thing we see is that it's just super easy to get warrants. Not all courts are really scrutinizing them. We've seen, you know, in some cases, it's like, uh, the police can get a warrant to search a phone in basically every case because they're arguing, well, we know people use phones for everything, so they must have used phones for this crime. So we're going to look at the phone and then they can look at whatever is there. Same thing with Facebook accounts or email accounts or that sort of thing. So one of the things we're working on at the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union, where I work, is trying to make it so that the law you know, draws warrants more narrowly so that every criminal investigation is not like a fishing expedition through all of our information that's stored, you know, on servers, you know, with accounts that we've been using for the past, I mean, in, in my case, you know, 85 years, but for the past, you know, oh, whatever it is. 85 years, wow. Now I feel well, bad. Yeah. You, look, you, look, you look really good for 85 years, but I'm going to tell you something funny, Jennifer. <laughs> I, I, I was working for somebody and it was not Joe. And what I did pur purposely was when I was communicating with a third party vendor working for a company, I said, I'm going to send you the password via signal. And I sent the password via signal. And my boss came back to me and said, why would you do something like that? Just send it through email. No. And he was, he was yeah, the thanks. manager of an organization in cybersecurity he goes, what does it matter? We're not the NSA. And I just kept my mouth shut. 
I mean, you're not but people just don't afraid realize, of the NSA, right? You're afraid of the NSA. You're afraid of law enforcement, which could be the, actors, everybody. the FBI or local. And then you've got the people who run your email server and all the exactly. nodes in between that are, you know, able to look at something when it's not end-to-end encrypted. So, I, look, I get it. You know, servers encrypted. So most email servers will send emails encryption to encryption, encryption to encryption. But you don't always know where that email is going. You're not doing a trace from from server to server to server. And 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 our cell phone companies actually allow those emails to pass through their servers purposely. You can't do it without going through them. So somewhere or another, that text is going to be, you know, it's going to be there. And plus, you can't control what somebody does on their endpoint. What happens if they lose their machine? Their their Outlook is open or their, their browser's open, somebody looks over their shoulder. I mean, I understand it even if it was encrypted, that's okay, but if somebody grabs your machine and it's open, you have no control yeah. over it. You wanna be able to do it. When I when I use regular emails, I would use a colon or something like that to send the encryption so the person has to go to the server, pull the email through 443. Hopefully they they don't have a man in the middle attack where that certificate's being seized and sent by somebody else. But you know, people have to use best practices. Yeah. And I have a, I have another question for you. Um, you ever look into those other third-party phones, the ones that are secure phones that don't use Google, that don't use iPhone, that have their own kind of sort of OS? You know, I looked at those a couple of times, and I was like, I don't. Think I, so. I mean, I think it's very hard to like, you know, um, you know, home grow your own security, like roll your own high-end crypto, and I think like usually that doesn't really work. Um, But one of the things that, uh, you know, we saw is there's this one case where, um, and I may be botching the facts a little bit, but I think it's really interesting just to show how, um, you know, uh, how invasive the government can be. There were, uh, was a small company set of guys who were um, creating an allegedly secure phone to sell to allegedly criminals, drug dealers and others. And they caught the guy, one of the guys, one of the engineers for something. Um, and they were like, okay, you're going to work for us now, or we're going to, you know, you're going to go to prison for a long, long time. So he like went to these other people who were the customers of this, you know, phone for criminals kind of company and just kept selling the phone, even though it was backdoored in such a way that the FBI could get access to the information. Um, and then at some point, the, you know, sort of a, um, international, you know, authorities like cracked down on all of the people or on like rings of people who were using these phones for various allegedly nefarious purposes. And it was really interesting because they constructed, I mean, it's like they flipped the engineer to become a state collaborator. They contrived the way that the data was transmitted in some way, which is so complicated. It's got to be to avoid some country's laws about what you can and you can't do. And then they just basically were sitting on the wire finding out everything that these, you know, people who were using the phone for illegal activity were doing. We don't know how many people were using the phone for legitimate, lawful activity and what the government did with, you know, what governments did with that information either. Um, On the one hand, you know, as somebody who likes hackers, I'm like, 
that's a good hack, FBI. <laughs> like, very impressive. And on the other hand, as somebody who's like, you know, a, um, a civil libertarian, it's like something's not, you know, respecting the privacy expectations Culture. here. Um, oh, and, yeah. you know, I mean, if, you're, if your MO is we flip engineers in companies, that, you know, back to what you were saying, Joe, that is pretty scary. I mean, I don't think in a big company, you know, like uh, like Meta or in Signal where the source is, you know, it's open source or whatever, that it's the same thing. But yeah, I mean, that's a crafty mode of breaking into stuff. Yeah, but here's the thing, how did it, the other side of that, the, the way I see it is, um, you know, yeah, they, they you know, it's terrible. They got this criminal. They had to flip someone to get them to backdoor stuff. But so much of the stuff that's out there is, is already backdoored that they are getting done, that they so, do have access to. But some are backdoored um, publicly, like a certain proxy yeah. in certain countries. You have to use that proxy through the government. You know what I'm talking about. Well, the funny, the funny thing is we, we've, we've enc I've encountered that before with countries where they say, you know, you have to use our Internet provider. You have to use our, um, you know, you have to use our, uh, you know, proxy. Our, our proxy server, our content filtering. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the content filtering is funny because in these countries, very often their um, definitions of, uh, you know, obscenity and what's inappropriate is very different. Oh, from absolutely. Ours. Like a but, regular bikini. But, right. But but in any case, you know, we, we do that and we'd say this is, uh, I, I don't know, again, maybe I'm a little too uptight about these things, but we say, you know, that's, that's so, that's so annoying. That's terrible. I feel so bad for these people having to do it. But, you know, in a sense though, what they have is very overt. Whereas where we have it, it's, we really have largely the same thing where all of our activity is tracked and, and collected. It's just, you know, it's, it's just not quite as obvious. Well, you know, I mean, um, that's why we, we fight for yeah. specific, you know, obviously transparency is a big deal, but we fight for specific laws that will, you know, make sure that this type of surveillance is, you know, only takes place where there's some de demonstrated need and legitimacy where, you know, you have to go to a judge and as a law enforcement officer and explain why you want to have access to this information. One of the things Snowden Revelation showed us is that they had, you know, 800 ways to circumvent those legal protections. Yeah. And so we keep trying to put more and more legal protections in place. It's not clear to me that for some things, you know, even with legal protections in place that the government's capable of or interested in complying. Um, but, you know, we have to use a combination of the tools that we have. Um, in order to protect people's privacy. And those tools are technology. Those tools are, you know, the law also. Um, so we, you know, do our best. I think sometimes we just see that the law is not up to date enough to really protect us against the kind of surveillance that we're seeing. Um, what, what, I was gonna say, how about this? The gentleman in California that did, I believe, the mass shooting and his phone was encrypted and they went to Apple and they said, unencrypted, help us. And we need to, you know, protect the citizens. You know, what are your thoughts on that? Do, is there times when they need to have access? Or I mean, I think that's a perfect example of overreach. Um, so, you know, the Apple versus FBI case, um, there was a shooting in San Bernardino and one of the shooters, um, he had multiple phones and one of the phones uh, the government could not unlock, and so they brought it to Apple. 
And Apple was like, we can't do it with this, oh, this you know, version of OS, we're not capable of helping. And so the um, government chose to very, very publicly sue Apple. And I think that was a contrived uh, effort. They knew, they thought that because it was terrorism related, that they were gonna get a lot of support from the public. And I think they were very surprised that people did not support them and did not agree with the government's argument <clears throat> that Apple should basically have to build a whole new set of software that could be used to subvert security on any iPhone, you know, because of this particular case. Um, you know, ultimately, they were able to unlock the phone without forcing Apple to create a backdoor um, that could yeah, have been used really by any company. government around the globe. Um, and guess what? They found nothing there, which is not that much of a surprise because they had the other phones as well. Um, they had to back down. So I think that they were, you know, and people in other countries that form a huge part of Apple's user base were like, I don't want the FBI to be able to get into my phone, you know, just by, you know, sending an email to Apple or, you know, loading new code that Apple didn't, you know, did, didn't have to create. And I think there's like a real, uh, a real opposition among the public for rules that would force companies to create backdoors, either, you know, sort of spur of the moment or basically, you know, with design mandates. And there are countries, um, the UK and Australia in particular, that are looking at design mandates um, to try to prevent uh, vendors from creating secure software, whether it's end-to-end -end encrypted or with, you know, lockout mechanisms or that sort of thing. But I don't think that you know, in the scheme of things, when you have a vulnerable communications network, then you have hackers, stalkers, you know, uh, exactly. identity thieves. And I don't think that that's, I don't think that that's legitimate. So I, I agree. Well, you can, yeah. you can, we, we can tell you coming from security, something that we actually talk about all the time. And we talk about on the show constantly is that, you know, the, the hackers, you know, the, the real bad guys, they will go after every weakness and they will find it every single one they will find it they will figure out how to exploit it and if you put things in there deliberately you're you're really making it easy yes absolutely uh, way easier than there's it no needs to door, be it's absolutely going to get popped right there's no door that only the good guys can walk through and i think one of the things that's particularly people like, oh hackers whatever but like what about other governments you know, there are other governments out there. They don't necessarily have the same, um, you know, protections for protesters or journalists or whatever that we do. Um, you know, so that's really a, you know, that's once you have it, it's like the other governments are going to be like, you did it for this government. You've got to do it for us, mm -hmm. too. Um, and then the other thing is like our government, our government is not reliable. Like they have not demonstrated the level of respect for the rule of law that they need to in order for us to really feel comfortable that they'll never abuse their access or that you know they won't abuse their access to a significant amount. You know, we talk about good guys and bad guys, but if you look at the history of US surveillance, and I don't mean like long ago history with spying on Dr. Martin Luther King and that sort of thing. I mean like current history with reports from the federal courts about what the NSA does and, you know, their their failure to comply with the rules and regulations. I'm talking now. Our government is not trustworthy in terms of following those rules. So, you know, in that case, we need 
to protect ourselves to a large extent. And believe me, there's more than enough other information about us that's out there for the taking. So I'm not super concerned. Well, that's really interesting. And, that, and that's something I actually wanted to ask you about when I had, uh, you know, re read the book. Th this had been on my mind, just, you know, all the things that the government is is doing. And they say, we have authority to do this. We have the authority to do that, you know. And just as I run down the list of all the things they've done and all the justifications and everything, I, you know, I... I say it sometimes. So I'm, I, I'm not a lawyer, and I'm and I'm a you know I'm a technology person. I'm a bit of a simpleton when it comes to things sometimes. And I read something like the Fourth Amendment, and it's very simple to me, and and very and very clear. You know, it's like it's pretty straightforward. Um, but then I hear some of the arguments to get around it, and you know I understand lawyers. There, there's nuance. There's things like that. But you know, but when you hear about some of the really tortured ones, you know, it does kind of trouble me to say, you know, these are people who supposedly, you know, took oaths that they were going to follow yeah. us and they're really blatantly breaking it. Um, I think the Fourth you know, Amendment very, is classy. Very concerning. You know? Yeah. I mean, the Fourth Amendment is very classy. It has like this nice like ring to it. It's very straightforward. But in terms of the way that it's actually interpreted in the law, it's pretty much a fucking disaster. Um, and as somebody who like, that's my favorite <laughs> amendment, my doormat says, get a warrant, like, you know, and just like very, my, most of my work. I got to get one is, of those. Yeah, that's cool. You know, most of my work <laughs> is about the fourth amendment. Um, but there's all kinds of ways in which the government gets around it. And I'm just going to give you an example. So, um, if something is protected by the fourth amendment, then in order to access it, law enforcement needs to go get a warrant. And the magic thing about a warrant is that you have to go to a judge, an independent entity that's from a different branch of the government, and, and show probable cause that there's a crime going on and you're going to find evidence. Probable cause is not a big thing. It's not more likely than not. It's just that there's a likelihood or a probability. It's not that high of a standard. Um, it seems like that should be a minimum to get access to people's most private information. But the government to this day, the federal government argues that it does not necessarily need a warrant to get access to your emails or to information that you've posted on Facebook and your communications on Facebook. And they have all kinds of excuses. The number one of them being that the terms of service for these products say that the um, company can you know, look at your content under certain circumstances. And the government says, well, you know, if it's not secret from everybody, then it's not private. And if it's not private, then the Fourth Amendment doesn't apply. So, you know, even to this day, when they're talking about, you know, end-to-end -end encryption and the San Bernardino phone, and they're saying, you know, well, this is warrant proof. This is warrant proof, you know, data. It's like, well, guess what? You're not even promising that you're always going to get a warrant. You've got all kinds of ways, you know, that you've got around it. And if you don't get a warrant or your warrant is insufficient, then you have all kinds of arguments why you still get to use the data. So I don't have a lot of, you know, I don't have a lot of sympathy for that. It seems like in this day and age, it should be pretty clear that your social media information and your email are protected by the warrant requirement. And that's what the government has to do if it wants to read my stuff. So let me ask you this. I saw a video the other day where a trooper pulled somebody over and said, license and registration. And the guy goes, I don't have to provide that to you. I don't have to provide my name. He goes, yes, you do. And then he, he goes, no, 
Fourth Amendment says I don't have to give you my name. What are your thoughts about that? Okay, this is a hard question for me because I actually don't know the answer to this and I should because I'm a Fourth Amendment expert and it's like a real world thing. Oh, I stumped you. Yeah. I think it depends on why they got pulled over. And but my understanding of this, my understanding of this is that you don't need to provide ID. Uh, I think even if you get pulled over for a reason, I think you don't need to provide ID. But if you don't provide ID, then they are allowed to detain you until they can like somehow independently identify, like you know, get you know your identity, and that sucks. So most people show the ID. But I think that's the rule: is that you're right. You don't, you're not obligated to disclose it. But as soon as we're done with this podcast, I'm going to look it up. And if I'm wrong, I'm going to be embarrassed. <laughs> That's going to be, this, this was not a setup. Oh, I, I right? bet. No, I'm sure, I'm sure Adam has all kind of other questions for me that I maybe don't know the answer to. No, I, I mean, the thing is. Well, I've, I've got one for you. Okay. Okay. I've got one. Hopefully, hopefully this, hopefully this is easier because think about what you were, what you were saying before. It's like, okay, we have the modern age and I know like the fourth amendment is simple and it's, you know, written in 18th century language, or whatever, but I think it easily translates anyway. Okay. So, you know, especially hearing about that. So if our social media, our, our email, our, our, our phone calls, if they're over for, you know, what all these things are not protected by the they fourth are protected. It's protected. They are protected by the fourth amendment. If I, yeah. You know, but the government's not recognizing it. Is that about it? it. Is that the, but they the are idea? protected. Um, okay, but I mean, okay. I just sorry, sorry. I just language. got excited because I was like, "Let's be clear." No, that's You're okay. Okay, all right. right, all right. No, I agree <laughs> with that. But I mean, okay. So let's say hypothetically, we accept some of these government arguments about how all, all these things are not mm-hmm. protected. Say. You know, then what? Then what is if I scroll out? You know, my shopping list with a big feather on a parchment and you know lock it in my basement you know what what's left if you take away yeah, all this stuff the, these the days quill you know? version of your shopping list. yeah quill you know so a little big quill and all that this goes back to the also like i turn around and i throw some papers in the, in the garbage and then the garbage goes on the street is my garbage protected is it not protected it's on the street can law enforcement look through my garbage do they have to wait for it to go in the truck do they have to wait for it to go to the dump these are the weird things that I yeah. think about. Well, I mean, the, the garbage rule in the federal courts is that when you throw it out, you've abandoned it, which is ridiculous. And in a number of state courts, they're like, that's ridiculous. People don't expect to have the reasonable expectation that people are going to just dig through their garbage. So this like abandonment doctrine is really highly questionable. But, you know, it's an example of the, the government going for it. Um, Joe, to your point, like, you know, about the technology, I mean, what you're really asking is like how when technology changes, like what does it mean for our for our protections? And I think there's two things. One thing is that, you know, what the Internet and technology has done is it's like gathers more of our information than ever before and centralizes it into like a nice, you know, delicious honeypot for surveillance, you know, for people who want to surveil us, you know, and it used to be more expensive to collect that information about us. Today, you can go um, to my to the phone company or to Google and track my date, you know, track where I've been, you know, 24 hours a day, not just now, you can go back in the past and find me too, which was impossible in the olden days. But even for following me, you'd have to pay a police officer to follow me around. And that was like a natural disincentive. Now it's like totally cheap. You just send a, you know, 
you just send some kind of legal process, used to not even be a warrant, and you can follow me around. And so it's just cheap and easy. And so why not do it? So what we need to do, you know, when technology's lowered the barriers is that the law has to step in and do more. The law has to raise the barriers so that we have, you know, at least the same amount of privacy now that we had, you know, when the Fourth Amendment was uh, was crafted so that we don't have to use a quill (laughs) and an inkwell, you know, in order to do stuff that, you know, then can be private. So I wrote a I wrote a paper on um, uh, for my master's about, um, you know, telemetry and and my fitness pal and putting government aside, this guy turns around, allegedly cheats on his girlfriend or his wife, sleeps with a woman. They happen to be Facebook, I mean, not Facebook, Fitbit friends. She sees that his heart rate is 140 at 3.30 in the morning. She then has her attorney, I think, subpoena the rest of his MyFitnessPal records and everything. And and my point is, is that so much stuff is shared. You can deduce or deduct what's going on and you put yourself in a precarious position, you know. Oh, another person turned around and was doing Pokemon and he was doing Pokemon in, uh, he was friends with his girlfriend doing Pokemon and he happened to be at this address and she knew where it was, where he was. That was his Mm ex-girlfriend. She went to the house. I think she tried to kill him. But these are the things you got to like people, well, people sharing so much information. Well, you know, it's like the um, it's like that story about the Strava app where um, so they were yeah. able to. Oh, the military. Yes, yeah, exactly. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Middle East. Yeah. The Middle where East. The military running yeah. around the street. Yeah, like where all the, where a bunch of people were running around. So, but yeah, I mean, I think your point is a good one. I, I'm a constitutional lawyer, so I worry about government access to information. But you're absolutely right. I mean, we're sharing more information with people than ever before too and it you know has something to do with the relationship of you know um husbands and or spouses i'll say um and you know parents and their children and friends and that sort of thing you know it's a different kind of society when we know a lot more about each other and personally i think we have to be more kind with each other you know like when you can go back on twitter and find some really embarrassing cringy thing that somebody said like four years ago i don't think 10 years yeah. ago and then they get and then fired, they get fired or they don't get a that. job like i think we need to you know we need to evolve beyond that kind of like gotcha culture because we know so much about people now we just need to realize that people are complicated we don't always do the right thing but yeah you know i mean it's an issue for stalkers for you know employers for you know all kinds of civil uses of this data as well um, redlining, you know, sort of setting, I mean, another thing is like setting bail, like, you know, they now have these risk analysis tools that they put in data about you. And they're like, oh, we think this person won't come back to, you know, court. And it's like, based on what we, you know, just a bunch of data that's out there. And for people who don't generate that data, they get a different result, even if they're basically the same kind of person. So there's all kind of bias in the system, you know, as well, based on what data is out there, and you know, what you can what can be collected. So, so if, if I'm trying to guess Ryan Reynolds email address, is that considered stalking if I keep on emailing? Uh, I think that no, because you keep emailing the wrong email address. So I think that's okay. <laughs> what happens was if I, if I, Oh, so it's not like, it's not like attempted murder. If, if you fail, <laughs> it's, it's not a crime when, when it comes to stalking. Well, is I'm that... sure once you get a hold of him, he's going to want to hang out. So I don't think that's stalking. I think that's going to be fine. 
I, I mean, listen, if he does do the podcast, so just so you know, and I'm, I'm digressing, I sent him an email. I'm like, dear Ryan Reynolds, I know you've become somewhat successful running you know, an okay business. <laughs> and we'd like to get some ideas about your cybersecurity business. Uh, we'd like to get some ideas of how you're running cybersecurity for your businesses. We would love to have you, you know, during your busy day, you know. You seem to be so much successful, so we're looking forward to. Oh yeah, I'm sure you jumped at that chance. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Adam, Adam, you know, out of the 500 he gets every week, you know, he's definitely going to go go right to yours. I'm sure that's going to work out. Uh, Well, I'll I'll get Ryan Reynolds one day. Ryan, Ryan, when when you do, I'll be, I'll be very, I'll be very impressed. Actually, I'll be frightened to find out how you did it. Ryan, if you're listening to this podcast, give Adam a call, please. And wear your Deadpool outfit when you do the podcast. Exactly. Oh, God. Okay. Well, we've when we start getting into Deadpool, I think we're uh, we're headed for last call then at this point. You know. I mean, I have a last I have um, a last thing just I want to say because I think that you know you can talk about uh, technology and we talk about constitutional law, but ultimately our government is made up of people. And I think that people need to understand the power of the government and how much information about us is out there and how it's used to, you know, um, how it's used to, to spy on protesters, to, you know, look for information about journalists, to kind of control uh, or, or, you know, inputs about who can get a loan and how much and all sorts of things like that. And, you know, it's important. This data really belongs to us. And it's, um, you know, important to control the way it's used, um, not just like on a, you know, we can't protect ourselves on our own. So, you know, we're going to have to look collectively. And that means looking to the law. So I think people should educate themselves. You've got to call your representatives when there are, you know, bills that seek to tear down our privacy um, and get rid of encryption. You know, they need to hear from us. Um, And when there are, you know, safety measures that are implemented, we need to make choices in the market and, you know, otherwise to say, like, this is the these are the products and services that we want. So, you know, I don't feel hopeless. I probably should. But if I did, I wouldn't be able to get up and go to work every day. I have what I like to call irrational optimism, but I think it is rational. So, you know, we as the people, we the people, we can do something about this. We just need to, you know, kind of allocate a little bit of attention and make sure that the people who are representing us in government know that we're watching and that we care and that they better do the right thing by us. What are your three recommendations to the audience that's listening on how to protect themselves, whether it's government, whether mm-hmm. it's whatever what what should what are the top three anybody should do to protect their privacy yeah i mean i think that's a great question i mean it kind of depends on like what your threat model is i mean you know this from being in security it's like who am i worried about am i worried about am i a 15 year old who's worried about my mom am i worried about my boss you know am i worried about abusive spouse these are all different things but i would say like number one password manager it's so simple, but like people should yes, not be absolutely. renewing passwords uh, or reusing passwords. They should not be sending them over email. <laughs> you know, but it's like a password manager <laughs> is an extremely important tool. Um, number two, I would say, is to use end-to-end encryption whenever possible when you're having your communications. There's no reason why all of your conversations into eternity should be memorialized for somebody to 
you know, just like pick through later on. Um, and then number three, I would say security updates. Like when software gets insecure, there's, 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 you know, vulnerabilities are found and you should update your software because those are always improving your security as opposed to leaving yourself open to some like known vulnerability. These things sound simple. They're not super romantic or anything, but they're basic things that everybody should do. I was going to say, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, we've, we've talked about these things on the, on the show and we've also talked about how, you know, doing security a lot of it is not very whiz bang. A lot of it is kind of is kind of dull sense. and kind of grinding, and just remembering to do it all the time and not make a little a little exception. But yes, those things can make a mm -hmm. big difference. And and I'll add something else. Um, if you're going to talk about technology, I'll I'll talk a little bit about the legal oh, fair side enough. Too, the <laughs> and maybe the political side too. Uh, you know, for all my talk of doom and gloom earlier, the the truth is, I, I think there is a lot more. Um, awareness than it used to be. People are getting more involved. And I think we are seeing more traction there, as you said, with uh, with the Apple case, people standing up. And I think even some of the things we're seeing lately. And and, and you're right, that's the that's the true path to change. This is not something that technology is going to solve. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we're technology people, we want to have the strongest things, we're, we're defenders and all. But ultimately, you know, we have to make sure that all of us and our you know, on the government, that we the people are making sure that they, that they, that they're doing what they should be doing and not doing what they shouldn't be doing, and so. So Jennifer, get your pillow. You know, I have more questions. I'm kidding. One more question. <laughs> so we all talk about putting that little cover over your over your computer, your laptop, because no one wants to see the video. You don't want to get that exploitation thing, but people forget that both your phone has an open camera all the time. There's no real camera covers for your phone. And audio is always a part that can be listened. Not only do we do it, not only can it be done covertly, it's done, you know, I guess overtly or yeah. regular because you have your Google, you have your Google, your Alexa and, and everything Siri, else. Yeah. How can you best protect you? How can you best protect yourself from, from your phone listening? Oh, I need, uh, I need um, salami. And then two minutes later, an ad pops up <laughs> says salami. How do you protect yourself? Yeah. <laughs> you get this stuff? Salami. I mean, salami is really good. So I think about that a lot as well. <laughs> that could have a lot I of mean, meetings. You, you don't want the government here. You know, that, I did. You know? I used to have a little um, sticker over the camera on my phone. But you're right. Like, if you have those kinds of services turned on, it is a vulnerability. And, you know, for me, like, I love technology. That's how I got into this field. So, you know, I do all kinds of things that are not privacy friendly. I use Google Maps. I did 23andMe. Like, I, you know, I like, I like what I can get from giving away my privacy. You know, and I think that's one of the reasons why we need to pressure companies to protect the data, you know, by, like, not collecting it, um, not storing it. Um, if they store it, delete it, you know, data retention. Um, if the government comes asking, make sure you require a warrant, like, you know, encrypt it in transit, encrypt it on the, her server, you know, Storage, all of that stuff. So yeah. it's like, it takes a village to like make us be able to enjoy the benefits of technology without like everything just falling to pieces. So, you know, I mean. So why hasn't GDPR come to the U.S.? I think um, there's a lot. I, I think there's a. I mean, it's different po politics. I think to a large extent, 
Um, I think that we have like kind of a more free market kind of thing that has, I think our Congress is a little bit um, ineffective, like it's hard for them to get things done. And I think we have some free speech aspects about like what you can do with people's data that kind of conflict with our notion of free speech versus theirs. So I think there's a there's a couple of reasons, you know, why that's true. They, they, they um, in Europe have, I think, more regulations of what companies can do than we do as a general, you know, as a general rule here, just because of a kind of pro-business streak that I think is a little more strong here in the United States than in Europe. Yeah. I think it does reflect the culture and our feelings on it. And unfortunately, I I would like it if we were more uh, security conscious here, like over there. Yeah. We are, we are, I suppose. And I complain about our law when it comes to government surveillance, but we have a lot of things here that are better than what various European companies or countries have. You know, we at least, you know, if a warrant is required, we, um, you know, have a review by a neutral and detached magistrate from the judicial branch. Um, They don't, not all um, European countries even have that. You know, it's the prosecutorial authority decides when surveillance is appropriate and not. So um, we have some benefits here that they that they do not. We have some things they they have some things we don't either. But you know. So Joe, I'm going to save the rest of my sure. questions for part two when we do it. <laughs> okay, that sounds good. <laughs> thank you so much. I really appreciate the. All answer. right. Yes, Jennifer. Thank you this so much. So fun. Thanks for, for joining and 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 thank you so much really this is something we care about but we're not experts and for really you know de- devoting your career to this it's it's important to everyone and uh that's good luck you know, <laughs> i'm gonna need it. it you know i don't know i don't know i know you're gonna need it uh, no, I, she only has I, five, I know exactly she only has three more years left of life She's yeah i'm like 85 She's you know you know adam i i was i was gonna i was gonna wish her another 85 years of, of success and then everything you but, look incredible uh, you cut it down to three yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now okay well th- thanks. thanks jennifer adam this has been fun as always yes I, 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 Everyone, I remember, this, yes. Please, yes, please listen to the podcast. Now that we're on YouTube, we have to say like, subscribe, follow the podcast, um, send us comments. Um, we're available for all your security needs. If you want to talk with us, please reach out to us. Give us feedback. Um, you might even get Adam to do a bar mitzvah. You never know. And I also make an excellent French 75 uh, uh, yes, cocktail. Yes, now we know. That's right. I think I need I, another one. This one down easy. I can give you your parties now. Okay. This was incredible. Thank you. This was a great awesome. Trip. Okay. Thanks Thank a lot, you, everyone. Thank you. We'll see you.